This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. There is a war of words going on right now with the Hamilton Board of Education and uh, at least one Hamilton City Councilor. Uh, it's uh, about a situation that uh, the school board is discussing right now with Ancaster High School out on Jerseyville Road. Uh, they want to sever part of the land there uh, to sell it off. Uh, now, that doesn't sit well with uh, Ancaster Councilor Lloyd Ferguson, who says this is a declaration of war, his words. Well, Todd White is the chairman of the board, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Keller Show to explain this. Hi, Todd. How are you doing this morning? Very well, Bill. Good to join you. Good to have you with us here again today. So you've declared war on the uh, city council. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's a, a bit of a miss. We, we've had skirmishes before, uh, yeah, quite a yeah. few of them, as a matter of fact, and, and I know you still bear the scars of some of those. You didn't even get the T-shirt for it. But uh, like, maybe you could explain the current situation, what's happening at Ancaster. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think we're disappointed to hear those type of words um, from the councillor. I mean, we've done so much with the city of Hamilton in recent years, and it's well known the type of projects um, and synergies that we have between both organizations. And we know in most cases it's a little bit of give and take from both sides, and we live in a provincial reality where a lot of the rules are above us, and uh, we're trying to make the best of what uh, what we must do. So in this case, uh, just to summarize, in Ancaster, around Ancaster Secondary School, we own roughly 42 acres of property. Um, just for contextual purposes, um, a good-sized high school might be on 15 acres. Uh, there's some of our smaller high schools are on less than two acres, for instance. So it's uh, 42 is a certainly uh, excess property. Um, it is well used by the Ancaster community. Um, much of it is soccer pitches. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we've been working through this, and it isn't new uh, work that we're doing. But we're looking at our properties, trying to figure out what it, we need uh, and what we use on the properties, uh, what we'll need in the future. Of course, making sure that uh, we keep generous space still available. But all in all, what our board decided uh, was to sever 11 acres of the 42 acres, uh, as well as a second parcel uh, that we haven't decided what we might do with yet. Uh, but all in all, um, that's where we are in the process. Nothing has been declared surplus, nothing is being sold yet, but we have taken that first step to uh, indicate some severances. Now the one, and I know the Eric quite well, obviously, our daughter went to Ancaster High, and I'm actually... I've spent a lot of time up in that property, so I know what we're talking about. You're basically talking about the soccer pitches that are behind the aquatic center. Is that right? That's right. So there's about 10 of them um, tucked in behind there. Um, and like I said, we don't use them as a school board um, very much, uh, but they are well used by the community. So that's exactly what we're what we're talking about. All right. And, and for folks who are in that area, uh, they, I'm, I'm sure, because I see this happen in other properties, where you have a piece of property that abuts a city park in, in some cases, people don't know that that's school board property or city property. And uh, and I'm sure that may be the case in situations like this. But but this is getting use. I mean, you don't use it as a school board, but my understanding is the property is being used. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think we're very, very conscious of, of that importance to the Ancaster community. We don't want to send a message that your green space is in jeopardy. Um, we've worked with the city in numerous cases where they've assumed green space or, or vacant properties. And like you said, it isn't unusual for the board to own property adjacent to city property. In this case, all 42 acres is board property. So we're trying to correct um, what's been a longstanding issue uh, in the Ancaster area. Our preference 
course, would be for this property to retain or remain as green space in, in uh, public hands in some fashion. Um, but we're still bound by some of those provincial rules. Well, we'll get into those in a second, but I mean, it, it's, it, I, I know what you just said here, that you don't want to send the message that the green space is in peril, but it is. I mean, that it, is the message here. Yeah, well, it, it depends. So what we've tried to do in this case is um, 11 acres is comparable to other properties that have been purchased, for instance, by the city of Hamilton. Um, we tried to create a severance that was not would not put any council or any community um, in, a, in a really difficult position. So, for instance, um, Councillor Jackson will tell you on East Mountain, um, he's looking forward to us selling the 10 acres on the former Barton High School property. Um, there's other areas with acreage close to that size as well. So 11 acres isn't, isn't unusual. Um, you know, of course, when we're talking about 42 acres, the board could have severed a lot more and potentially sell a lot more. But I think what we've tried to do is is show some restraint, um, some cooperation. We've tried to think into the future in terms of what other growth might look like in the area. So this isn't an exercise to slash and burn uh, and sell our sell our properties. It's really a slow process to kind of right size and and make plans into the future. And if we do it well, then a lot of this would be unnoticed by by uh, by community members if property did change hands between us and the city. Keep in mind, there's other, other, other creative ways that we can work with the city. There's land swaps. There's other types of shared use agreements. We, we've explored everything under the sun. So at this point, we're keeping our, our, our minds open to uh, different possibilities. All right, so let's let's talk about the the law and and the rule and and I guess the 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 the, the sticking point here. I, and and I, I got to say up front in your defense, this is not your rule. Uh, this is done by the provincial government that simply says that uh, that if you have to do this, uh, you can't. You, well, you've talked about some of the options here, but uh, I understand where Councillor Ferguson is coming from here because he says if the city wants to just outright buy this right now, they have to buy it. Uh, and and his point that the taxpayers have already paid for it, I think, is is a legitimate one. Uh, but uh, your point that your hands are tied is also a legitimate one. So it sounds like we have a stalemate here. Well, and, and that's the reality. Um, it, it's unfortunate, and we, we we understand that. That's why we've taken steps with the city to mitigate this, where we've tried to roll out properties um, in a responsible fashion. We don't just put uh, ten properties on the market all at once. You know, it's a very careful calculation in terms of what their budget priorities are, um, what we need on our side, and it really is a compromise. And that's where I think in this case, nothing rash has been decided. It's actually been, once again, a very careful process. And with cooperation from the city, we can overcome most of these situations. But as you spelled out, the main conflict is exactly that, which is the city has to purchase the property. And the legislation says that it must be for highest and best use. Some may not understand what that means, but green space, for instance, an acre of green space is much cheaper than an acre of developed uh, developed land with uh, potential high-density housing. So we sell property, even though the intent would be to retain it as green space, uh, the city's paying a premium as if they're a developer hoping to develop the property. And and it may be correct, I, I want to get some clarification on this. When that goes on the market, and I know, I, again, I want to underscore what you just said, that it's not there yet, but I mean, that is a possibility. Uh, that you may declare this as surplus property, and then, of course, that process starts to kick in. Do you have to actually get uh, the the stated value for that line? In other words, can you sell it for a buck if that's what you wanted to do? No, no. So it has to be highest and best use, um, roughly plus or minus 10% of fair market value. So 
the property is valued uh, in terms of, and not based on its current zoning, what it could be zoned as, um, and and what that highest and best use might be, um, which is often you know, high density housing or some development of some sort. So so that's usually the premium, and that's usually the sticking point between us and the city because it's not simply buying green space for the cost of green space. You're buying buying it as if you're going to develop the property, which of course in many cases they have no uh, intent to do that. I understand the frustration here from Councillor Ferguson again, and especially from some of the residents around uh, Meadowbrook Drive, which is the, one of the streets that abuts it there in behind the school. I mean, you buy a property with the anticipation that you're going to have green space there, and now that may or may not be the case in the future. So that's that's what's going on. But this is not a new conflict. I mean, this is something that not just your board, but every board in every city has had problems with over the last few years, and, and the provincial government has done nothing about it, which really leaves you and the city high and dry in situations like this. Well, well, absolutely. And we've taken steps, once again, to, to really bridge the gap and, and try to make up some of those shortfalls that the legislation in province uh, has created. So, for instance, just recently, um, we've worked with the city where if they need to purchase property from the board, um, we've expressed uh, a willingness for them to stretch payments out over a long period of time, um, interest-free, not like a mortgage or anything like that. But traditionally, if you were to buy a property, cost $5 million, you'd pay us $5 million. Um, we've made them an offer that if they buy property, um, and we'd set a maximum, a maximum amount, and if in one calendar year they exceed that, they just carry over the payments to the following year. Um, so to take that pressure off their yearly budgets and be able to stretch it out. Um, we've also, uh, like I said, in terms of timing, we control timing. So some boards just throw them on the market, and it's tough for whoever wants to purchase it. In our case, I mean, we're very clear with with our councillors, with the city uh, city staff. Yeah, here is our long term plan. They can project the types of properties that we have. They can make put the proper plans in place. So the message that I would say is that if the desire is to keep this property in public hands as green space, there's certainly every opportunity for the city to do that, and we're happy to mitigate whatever uh, uh, difficulties they have in, in obtaining it. What do you need the money for? I mean, obviously, that's that's got to be the end game here. You need cash. Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I think I may have been on your program earlier uh, a couple of months ago when the Ancaster roof was leaking and yep. caving in. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, we know the infrastructure in some of our uh, areas of our city are, are, are poor. Um, we're going through huge uh, revitalization exercises. We've been wildly successful in attracting extra ministry dollars uh, to build new schools and, and do repairs. Um, but if you look at Ancaster itself, uh, there's no doubt Ancaster's infrastructure um, is, is very poor. Uh, and it needs a lot of money and it needs a lot of work. Uh, very similar to a lot of the old Wentworth uh, board schools, uh, Wentworth board uh, and their schools spread out throughout the city. So we know that, that they need that influx of money. Any dollars that we would get from disposition of property go right back into revitalization, which goes right back to students. So it's not a cash grab where somehow we're spending the money uh, or we have savings or something along those lines. It's dollar for dollar right back into renewal. Uh, and you can see that right on the ground if you live in Ancaster. So the dollars aren't disappearing. I should mention we did reach out to Councillor Ferguson to try to get a response from him, and he uh, hasn't returned our call, but uh, we did make that effort. But let me ask you, in that regard, though, Todd, you did mention that there are other options that are available. How serious have you been with the discussions with the city about this now? I mean, have you talked about land swaps? Have you talked about a couple of the other things that may be available to them? 
Well, and that's it. You know, we build schools, and we're building quite a few schools through decisions that we've made. Um, when we try to acquire property to build a new school, we don't assume the city is going to transfer us property free of charge. <laughs> it works both ways, right? So there's give and take. But when you look at different scenarios that we've had recently, um, look at the community hub we've discussed uh, down on the Sir John A. McDonald property. Uh, we own eight acres. We're not looking to sell an inch of that property, uh, but we're willing to have other partners come on that land. Um, we're building a school out in Beverly uh, Central area, uh, our new Bella, uh, Beverly Central School, and that's entirely on city land. But then you look elsewhere throughout the city where the city has community centers um, on board land all over the place. There's, there's numerous examples of that. So it's give and take, I think, on both sides. Um, and, and I think that's where there's some of those creative solutions where it could be a land swap. Perhaps next time we're looking for a property to build a new school, the city may offer something up. You know, it, it works at a, on a number of different levels. And because we're not in a particular rush, um, we can have those conversations. This isn't a decision that's been made overnight. And like you said earlier, we haven't even decided to sell the property. So this is several years away, um, more than enough time for two organizations as mature as HWDSB and the city of Hamilton to, to work out the details. So those discussions haven't even taken place yet? Only preliminary, but very little, yes. Uh, so the declaration of war may be a little premature? Well, absolutely. I mean, it really is a mischaracterization of, of, of the reality. I mean, we've worked incredibly well. And I know Councillor Ferguson um, has, has his opinions, and quite frankly, as you've outlined, rightfully so. But I think the issue is really with the province, not with HWDSB. And I think it, it would be uh, short-sighted to, to hurt the relationship between us and the city because on a yearly basis, we save each other millions and millions of dollars uh, in different types of shared use agreements and partnerships. Yeah, but you can understand the angst, though. I mean, you've been around long on the board enough, Todd, to know that there have been some hot opportunities where the city and the board have butted heads on. Well, Scott Park's a classic example of it. I mean, yep. there's construction moving forward on that, but that was that was a real mess for a number of years uh, because of some board decisions that were made at the time and the city's reaction to it. That's right. I, th- I think it came down to some attitudes, some some decisions that were made. But I think a lot of those cases occur when we lose sight of the amount of agreements that we have between us and the city. We went recently went through an exercise. Uh, we have a joint committee between us and the city uh, with councillors and trustees on the other side. Uh, and we're going through all of our shared use agreements as simple as, you know, who plows that sidewalk to I'm building a school on your property or a community center on your property. And uh, there's hundreds things that you wouldn't even realize as a taxpayer or community member, what the board owns, what the city owns, what we maintain on each side, shared use of gymnasiums, pools, you name it. There, there's, there's, it, it goes on and on. And I don't think even a, a councillor in, in their own area would know the dozens and dozens of agreements that currently exist. So there's still uh, lots to come on this, and, and there, obviously there, there, lots of discussion to be had before you make a decision on this. There, there's, there's so much, exactly, and the relationship is reciprocal, right? So it yeah. works both ways. So, okay. so to simply, you know, take it and, and assume it's, it's, you know, the relationship is poor because of, of, of one possible decision, it's much bigger than that. And I think we've shown a lot of restraint and understanding on our side, and once again, you know, we've seen the same from the city. So if you were to ask any other city councillor, the mayor, I don't think anyone would necessarily agree with that statement. Um, but uh, but we are where we are. And I think 
the proof is in the pudding. We've done well in recent years. We're going to continue to do so. And if voices of reason are willing to come to the table, we're happy to meet everyone halfway. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see what the next steps are. Todd, I appreciate the time today. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Talk Have a great one. Talk soon. That's uh, chair, uh, Chairman of the Board of the Board of Education, Todd White, uh, with the Ancaster situation. As I said, we did reach out to Councillor Ferguson, and uh, maybe at some future point we can get his uh, thoughts on what's going on. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. A lot of reaction to uh, the commentary at 10 this morning. Of course, it's also on our blog, uh, the Bill Kelly Show page at 900CHML.com. Uh, Doug Ford's costly environmental plans, and it uh, references a, a couple of things that uh, Premier designate Doug Ford has already talked about. Of course, he's not even sworn in uh, yet. That'll happen on the 29th of this month. But uh, he's already talked about, of course, uh, getting rid of the cap and trade, and you're going to dump that. I mean, he talked about that all through the campaign. We get that. Uh, and he's made that announcement. Uh, we also found out, uh, not from Mr. Ford, but uh, from another person within the PC party, that apparently they are budgeting $30 million dollars for the court fight uh, against the federal government about the whole idea of, of carbon pricing, carbon taxing, this nature. Now, not the first provincial government that wants to do that. Saskatchewan, obviously, is going to be jumping up and down to do the same sort of thing. But these are a couple of things that we really didn't talk about during the campaign because, well, Mr. Ford didn't talk much about any costing of his uh, platform during the campaign. So what's going to happen? Uh, are we finally going to lift the veil off uh, what the, the Ford government is going to look like and what they're going to be doing, what their priorities are going to be? And we're going to get some price tags for some of the stuff that they're talking about. I want to bring Richard Brennan into the conversation, a retired journalist uh, with the Toronto Star, of course, for many years. He covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. Uh, and he's uh, been there and done that for an awful lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about over the next little while. How are you doing this morning, Richard? Morning, Bill. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this. A, a, a couple of things. and uh, about the First of all, the cap and trade, which is not news to us, of course, because Ford talked about that in his leadership bid and certainly during the provincial election campaign. But uh, little did we know, I guess, at the time that there could be some financial ramifications to that. Well, it's like any other contract. You you talk about ripping up contracts, and it is going to cost money. And in this case, it's going to cost, you know, there's already money has been spent on on cap and trade. So it'll be, it could be billions of dollars. And, and you know, the thing is, you... We just had a government that was criticized, a Liberal government, for the billion-dollar gas plant boondoggle and all that. But we, we're looking at plans by, by the Tories right now that could dwarf what, what happened with the Liberals. Well, the, the, the price tag we've—and again, these are estimates at the stage—for uh, the cap-and-trade uh, decision could well be $3 billion. That's the number that some people are floating around. And again, it's because contracts are, are signed, uh, contracts that are broken. Anybody can tell you that in the business world. Uh, there's usually some sort of a penalty. But uh, we don't even know what California and Quebec, the other two partners in this deal, are going to do and then respond to this. But we do know that a number of companies that were in, involved in the program bought credits. Yeah. And now they're saying, hey, wait a second, to the point of about $3 billion. And they're saying, hey, if you're going to end the program, you've you got to give us our money back. And, and where's that going to come from? I guess that's the question we need to ask. Well, it's so easy, you know, to say, well, you're going to do this or do that when when you're not in power, but all of a sudden reality smacks you upside the head. I mean, we, uh, you know, your listeners will remember, well remember, when, when uh, McGinty, former Liberal Premier McGinty, said that he was going to rip up the contract for the 407. Yep. Well, it never happened, did it? 
because they, they you know, the experts said, you're, you're out of your mind, and this would cost billions of dollars to rip up because this is a, this is a valid contract that you signed with this company for, or not you, but certainly they governed the time, the Harris government, signed giving them rights to operate that highway for a hundred years. And we're not quite there yet. No, no, we're not, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But the point is, you, you just can't, you, the thing is, that's the problem with campaigns. I mean, it's all well and good to make promises, but there's a price tag that's attached to everything. And this is what we asked for all through the campaign. And, and I know I and you and a number of other people were often vilified by the people of Ford Nation uh, for, for having the, the uh, audacity to ask, well, how much is this going to cost? Now we're going to have to find out what it's going to cost. Well, I'm vilified by the Ford Nation for just getting up in the morning. Well, there's that, yeah. <laughs> no, it, well, this, that's, why do you think they didn't want, you to, didn't want reporters to ask questions? This is why, and, and now we're talking about thirty million dollars to uh, fight uh, the federal government. Now, well, hold on a second. You know, I don't remember you, you know, talking about that during the campaign, as you pointed out. Well, he he did say the he was going to fight the federal government, and we, but now we're starting to understand that they're going to put thirty million dollars. I mean, for a guy that wants to find efficiencies, I, I got one for you right now. There's thirty million dollars we don't need to spend. Uh, on a court battle, I mean, because the essence of of the argument, I don't want to get too deeply into that because it hasn't even started yet, is they're basically saying the federal government doesn't have the right to make laws. Well, they kind of do. Uh, last time I checked. Well, they're good. This is this is a case you're going to lose. The federal government has a right to bring in this law, and they have a right to bring tax. in taxes. Yeah, I mean, they have the absolute right. So. That's $30 million that's just going to be blown, as far as I'm concerned, if they do, in fact, go ahead with it. And, you know, one thing, I, I, I got um, to, uh, you know, declare my conflict here is uh, with the uh, Green Ontario Fund. I took advantage of that, that for getting new windows. And I said to my wife, I said, Vicki, I think... We better get this done now because, sure enough, Ford's going to get rid of it. And I was just half kidding. But guess what? <laughs> you know, since that announcement came down yesterday, you know that this, they were going to dump the uh, the plan. Uh, I've had a number of emails because uh, we talked a little bit about it on the program yesterday, and and that's the theme for a lot of them. Richard is, hey, wait a second, what about me? I'm in limbo right now. Am I going to get my money? Am I going to get my rebate? And I said, I don't know. They haven't said. Well, it's it's not going to be scrapped to the end of August. So anybody's in the in the mill right now will get their money back. I mean, I haven't got my money back yet, but I fully expect to get it back. But this is short, you know, short-sighted kind of decisions because it really would it helps people would get new windows, you know, their their uh, cost of heating goes down and all kinds of things, particular particularly for seniors. But it's, it's an environmental, it's, a, it's an investment into the future is what I'm saying. Well, and there were parts of it that, that, that bothered me, too. I mean, I, I was a little, man, I guess more than a little upset when I found out that, you know, they're going to offer, a, what is it, $20,000, incentive for somebody to buy an electric car. Uh, you know, and if you can afford $130,000 for the car, you really don't need the, the cash back on situations it's like that. $14,000. Was it four, whatever it was, okay. And, and that irked me as well, you know, so... So someone could buy a Tesla 
you know, someone that can afford a Tesla, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think $14,000 of our hard-earned money, it should go towards you buying a car. No, you know, if they've got that kind of cash, they don't need our help to to, to try to finance the thing. But that's $14,000 It could go to something else, because you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, we're encouraging seniors, for instance, to stay in their homes, and, you know, we don't want them to to have to give that up. And we're talking about property taxes, and this is a win-win, because it's good for the environment. It lowers their heating bills or whatever bills that they're they're concerned about. Yeah. So there are some merits to this whole thing. But to simply say, it's a tax, we're going to get rid of it. It reminds me of of just about every government that's ever been elected, Richard. They all make these promises. John Cretchen was going to dump the GST, remember? Yeah. Take that to the bank. Sheila Copps actually said, look, if we don't do that, I'll resign. Well, she had to. Uh, won the next election. But, I mean, we always get all pumped up by these promises. And then after they get sworn in, which is going to be this weekend for Doug Ford, uh, I'm sure they sit down with their lawyers, and the lawyers say, okay, uh, can't do this, can't do this, uh, that's going to cost you an awful lot of money. And all of a sudden we get a, a revised version of exactly what they want to do. And I guess we have to really wait and see what that's going to look like. Well, I just want to offer something here. I, it's not, I heard an interview on the radio not so long ago. Uh, and it was a, it was a, a person that uh, worked for Mars, uh, you know, and they they uh, talked. He talked about this is this I thought would, it was a very good idea. He said, you know, continue the cap and trade, you know, and the money that the province will receive that result. And if you want to pump it back into, he said, give the money back to you know, you know, uh, Mister and Mrs. Ontario. There's no, I mean, it's this is money that they're getting back, and it's a, and I think it's it's a great program, quite frankly. But on the other hand, I know the Tories don't, but give if you you're so inclined, you think it's so outrageous, well continue it and give the money back. I thought it was a great idea. Well, but and that's what the, the Prime Minister's saying now, that, you know, the, the, okay, if you guys are going to scrap your plan, the cap-and-trade plan, then the, we're going to have to impose the other plan, as we're doing with the rest of the country. And and that's where Saskatchewan and now Doug Ford are, are, are getting their backs up about this. But the reality is, when you say the Conservatives don't think it's a very good plan, uh, I'm not sure if everybody feels that way, Richard. I mean, you know, because when Patrick Brown drew up their game plan for this election called the People's Guarantee, he, he acknowledged the fact that this is coming. The provincial uh, t- program, we're going to scrap, but we're going to go under the federal umbrella of the carbon tax, and we're going to give the money back, just like he said, in the way of a tax cut. And that sounded pretty good to an awful lot of people. But, of course, was, as Doug Brown went down, so did that idea. And all of a sudden, uh, this whole idea of carbon pricing was a bad idea. Well, did you, did you notice that they tried to tell uh, initially when they started into talking about getting rid of this, getting rid of that, that getting getting rid of the carbon tax, like as if we had a carbon tax in Ontario, and he was called on it, and they eventually changed the, changed their tune on. It. But there was a there was not a carbon tax in Ontario. Well, yeah, and, and he was misusing the phrase all through the campaign, and and, and nobody seemed to call him on it. Uh, so it's it's a concern. But let's let's talk a little bit about as you mentioned the realities. Uh, about uh, what they can do as opposed to what they promise to do. Uh, it's going to cost a significant amount of money for them to simply jump out of this, this cap-and-trade deal. Uh, are they willing to pay that? That's going to be one of the questions. And then, there, as you mentioned, there's the legalities, not just whether or not it's a smart political idea, but it's the legality of some of the things they're talking to do, uh, they're intending to do. You remember during the—I think it was the first leadership debate when they were still running to find who's going to run the party— 
And, and it was uh, Tanya Granick Allen that talked about ripping out all the uh, the wind uh, mills, you know, up in the north. Oh, yeah. And, 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 of course, Mr. Ford piped in and said, that's a great idea. And it was Christine Elliott, the voice of reason, that said, whoa, whoa. He says, you, do you guys understand that there are financial ramifications? Contracts get ripped up. You have to pay penalties. And that, that kind of threw water on that. Uh, and that's really, I think, is what's going to have to happen with this government, just like it has every other government, is they're going to have to water down a lot of the stuff they said they were going to do because it's going to cost a lot more money than people had anticipated. Well, what's particularly irking is Doug Ford is a businessman. Yeah. And he knows that you don't willy-nilly tear up contracts. He knows that there's a price tag attached to that. And and of all people, I you know, but again, you know, they'll parties will say and do anything to get into power, and this is a perfect example of that. And they all do it. Oh, they without question, and you know, but the liberals are in part to blame. I mean, they've been you know diminished. Terribly here, but they're in part to blame for all this happening because it really goes back to the uh, deal that they struck with the turbine companies and on you know these sweetheart deals that they gave these companies for you know so much a kilowatt or whatever it is, and it was it was outrageous, and this really got you know the people thinking. You know, the, the government was out of control. You know, they're giving these great deals and that. And so this, it's those kind of actions by a government that bring you somebody like Doug Ford. Because we always go to the polar opposite when we, get, we yeah, see something absolutely. like this. You know, it was, it, was, it was Bob Ray's government that brought you Mike Harris because the pendulum swings, you know, the opposite way. I think in the end... I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I think I think in the end that some someone's going to have to sit down with him and reason with him and say, "You can't, you can't rip up this cap and trade. This is a deal that's been made with people, you know, with various companies and, and provinces. You can't do it, or it's going to cost you a ton of dough." Not unlike what uh, Dalton McGee had to do, and he had to walk back on his promise to get rid of the four hundred seven yeah, and, and open that up. Uh, the, uh, the, and here's the problem when, with, with, with whether it's the wind energy stuff, Richard, or the, the, the 407. The governments of the day make these contracts ironclad, I mean, and that's how they cut the deal. Yeah. Don't you worry, Mr. Whoever it is we're doing the deal with. Nobody's going to break this contract, and if they do, you got, you'll be rich for the rest of your life. And then a, a subsequent government comes along, and they're saddled with it. And, and, and frankly, whether you like cap-and-trade or not, we're pretty much stuck with it right now, unless you want to pay about $3 billion in penalties, at least. Uh, we don't even know what that number is going to be. Yeah, well, even if it's half that, it's still, that's still a lot of money that could be you know, given to other things. But th- which leads me to think, you know, well, right now we're talking about cap-and-trade, and, and, you know, we're going to slash this, we're going to do that. But what happens when it when he really gores, you know, the ox of of people, you know, people's real interests like healthcare and education and stuff like that? You know, this is this could be just the thin edge of the wedge here. Well, the thing with any government that that starts preaching that you know we're going to reduce your taxes, of course, that means reduce spending, which means. Uh, you know, something has to cut. And, and he's maintaining, of course, that nobody's going to lose their job and programs aren't going to be cut. But if they were looking at things like this as the low-hanging fruit, uh, I think they just got a, a rude awakening. This is not low-hanging fruit. This is expensive fruit. 
uh, if they want to do these two things. I mean, even the, uh, he's he did make good about the idea about dropping the gasoline tax, okay, by reducing uh, the provincial portion of the tax. But then he waves a finger at the gas com- at the oil companies and says, "And you better not raise the the price, uh, uh, you know, to, to try to compensate that." What's he going to do if they do? Well, nothing he can do. He there's, doesn't control that. There's absolutely nothing he can do. I mean, they, the oil companies have been, you know, holding, holding provinces to ransom forever and ever, amen. There's absolutely nothing that he can do to direct the oil companies to say, you don't fill in that gap. If we're, we reduce something by five, ten cents, we don't expect you to fill it in. Well, what's to stop him? Absolutely nothing. Well, exactly, and I mean, and it's it's not Doug Ford. I mean, Doug Ford promised, and, and he's delivering on the promise, and good for him. But he can't control the oil companies. You know, they're going to come back with a song and dance about, well, you know, we had to shut down this refinery for renovations or for this and that, and the price is going to shoot up again. I mean, we're just, we're getting stuck. Uh, it, it'd be great to think that hey, they can control that, the same as you can control the price of beer. You can't really do that. Nope. Again, it's just you know, it's 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 the heat of the moment. You know. Uh, it's bluster during a campaign, and and often it's you and I and the rest of Ontarians who are left with the tab. Well, well which is why you know we we talked about the team around him, and and there's some pretty smart people there. We mentioned Christine Elliott and Vic Fideli and and some of these other folks uh, that I think are going to have to sit down and talk about okay, what's the plan going to be, and let's start rolling this out because a lot of the stuff we thought we could do maybe we're not going to be able to do. And that's, that's a real cold realization for any government that takes power. Well, I don't know they have a plan other than, you know, some of the you know, top of the wave that they, that they talked about during the campaign. What's their plan? I mean, what's their long-term plan for the province? I don't think anybody has an idea, and I don't think they do either. Well, we've got to find out sooner than later, because uh, as you mentioned, uh, on election night, uh, with our coverage here on CHML, I mean, you can't do this all the time. You can't just simply say, we're going to do this and we're not going to talk about the price, uh, because the people that supply money to governments, uh, you know, the, the the bond rating agencies and banks, they're going to start asking for numbers, and, and you get, they're going to have to come up with numbers at that point, so we are going to get a clearer picture. I just want, just want to get back to one thing for quickly. Sure, got uh, a minute, yeah. Yeah, the Green Ontario plant. Uh, that's going to just think of the jobs that are going to be lost when they get rid of that. I mean, there's been companies all over Ontario, window companies, that hired tons of people to, and they've made plans to, uh, to you know, they, their plans were to reach so many people and do so many homes and all that. Well, this has just been thrown out the window as the end of August. There, there is, you know, a bunch of companies that many business people who support uh, Ford, are, their plans have just been dashed. And, and that means when their plans are dashed, that means their employees are going to be looking for work. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough decision uh, for the people you know, who are closely affected by it. Absolutely. Well, we'll wait for the other shoe to drop. Richard, always a pleasure. Thanks for this today. Thanks, Bill. Rich, Richard Brennan, of course, who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for so many years. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Right now, I want to talk about a problem that uh, the City Council's been dealing with for a long time now. Uh, and it, it happens every year at budget time, and it's the money that's allocated for conservation authorities. Now, these are wonderful organizations. We know that. 
we're blessed to live in this part of the world uh, with so many natural beauties as, as, as assets, whether it's lakes, rivers, etc. But uh, it comes at a cost. And uh, every year, uh, council gets hit between the eyes with, a, well, a rising cost. And uh, the contentious issue right now has to do with the, the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority. And you wonder, well, why is Hamilton City Council dealing with that? Well, here to explain the problem and why that is happening is uh, Tom Jackson, who is the uh, city councilor for Ward 6 up in the East Mountain. Tom joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. How are you doing this morning, Tom? Bill, nice to be on. It's been a while. Hope you're well. Uh, things are going well. Uh, listen, uh, first day of summer, we're talking about uh, conservation areas. and we, We're so happy, as I was mentioning in the preamble, that we have some wonderful areas here in the city. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to ask you the uh, the obvious question first of all, that, that, that you can maybe inform our listeners, because I think it, we need a bit of a tutorial here. Why sure. why is Hamilton Council dealing with the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority? Well, uh, Bill, quite frankly, and I've been a former board member on the Conservation Authority, yeah. our Hamilton one couple of terms, yeah. uh, not this term. And so, you know, it, this goes back to um, uh, prior to amalgamation, the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority uh, had apportioned uh, levies against the former towns of Glanbrook, Stony Creek, and Ancaster. And by the way, so this is all about the Bimbrook Conservation Area. Exactly, yeah, that's the contentious and, issue. Exactly, and so I had thought all these years, Bill, quite frankly, that I thought Bimbrook was under the domain of our Hamilton Conservation Authority, similar to the Valens, the Christie areas, the uh, Aramosa Karst Caves, the East Mountain Trail Loop, Webster Falls, I thought naturally Bimbrook should geographically, municipally, be under our domain. Well, that makes sense, Tom. I mean, you know, it's part of the greater city of Hamilton, and we figured, you know, it should be under our jurisdiction. Exactly. However, based on the Conservation Authorities Act of the province, and based on this watershed and water course um, uh, uh, geography, it falls under the purview of the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority, which is unfortunate. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a guy who's an expert on the uh, environmental watershed side of it, but I'm just going, you know what, to me, the Bimber Conservation Authority municipally deserves to be under the HCA, Hamilton one. We could then, with our board members, we've got 11 board members of our HCA, 10 of them from Hamilton, appointed members of council, citizens of Hamilton, one only from Puss Lynch, versus the 15-member board of the NPCA, the Niagara Peninsula, where only two of our 15 are there fighting to get dollars for Bimbrook. And it seemed to me over the years, Bill, that, okay, we're going along with this arrangement after amalgamation. The city of Hamilton uh, took over, if you will, from the former towns of Glanbrook, Stony Creek, and Ancaster, that the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority apportioned its share of the levy. In '04 there was an agreement amongst all the authorities that Hamilton's uh, percentage of the overall bill to NPCA would be around 4% in the three $350,000 range. Okay, so a guy like me is going along saying, okay, it still doesn't make sense, but so be it. I hope they're spending some money in Bimbrook. Bimbrook's becoming more popular. Bill, as you know, that's one of the tremendous growth areas of our city in terms of Bimbrook Village, the subdivisions, so many people moving there, both within our city and from beyond our borders, wanting to come and live there. And the Bimbrook Conservation Authority, which is just, by the way, uh, off Highway 56, just south of the village, uh, just almost across from Southbrook uh, Golf and Country Club. It's off of a road called Harrison Road. It's a 1,000 acres, Bill, up there. And it's under the purview of Niagara. So I said about the 2004 arrangement with all the conservation authorities, Hamilton share be about 4%. 
suddenly in 2000, fast forward to 2015, and this is what really irked me, and I wasn't alone. And by the way, I need to give tremendous credit to the specific ward counselor out there, Bill, Brenda Johnson, who's been such a strong advocate in fighting on behalf of this area that something seriously is wrong here. In 2015, and you've heard, I'm sure, about some of the contentiousness going on in the NPCA, but I'm not going to get into that. I understand there may be an audit going on, whatever. I'm not getting into that. Well, no, we have to touch on it, and I'll explain to the listeners why. But you got you got hit with a, a huge bill in 2015. Exactly. So they suddenly said to us, uh, Hamilton, uh, we think your share should be around 20%, which meant almost close to another million dollars. And we're going, hold it. How did the arrangement agreed upon in 2004 whether they argue was informal or not, but all agreed upon, we've got it documented. Suddenly, 10 years later, they go, well, you know, uh, Hamilton's had it easy and too cheap, and we're going to submit another bill close to a million. So suddenly people like myself and our council unanimously finally said, hold it, something seriously wrong here. Can we appeal to the Minister of Natural Resources to ask about changing the boundaries Bimbrook so naturally is part of our new city, should naturally be part of the Hamilton Conservation Authority, where it would get such great, loving, tender care, serious money going into splash pads, rec centers, septic systems, etc. And what we got back, including recently, before the provincial election of a couple of weeks ago, from the outgoing MNR, was basically, nope, uh, sorry, uh, you're under the uh, Old Watershed and Conservation Authorities Act, Sorry, Hamilton. So I, I, at that last meeting about a week ago, Bill, at the GIC, I publicly said, look, with the new government, new philosophy, new ideology at Queen's Park, I think it's worth another shot that we send another letter off, and the mayor's uh, going to do that on our behalf. Which makes all kinds of sense. Now, there are a couple of questions that come up, of course, because, as you say, this, this funding idea and this funding formula, Tom, is, 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 well, it's Greek to an awful lot of people that just don't understand it. Why are you giving money to the conservation authorities? I, I, I assume this is for, like, obviously for maintenance, to keep the grounds looking good, in other words, to make them attractive for, for, for the people that want to be users of these facilities. So, so th- that, to my understanding, is, is why the money is actually allocated. But... When they come to you, as they do every year at budget time, and say, yes. as they did in 2015, said, by the way, we think we, we want another million bucks from you. Can, you can't just say no, can you? No, we can't. And that, Bill, you've nailed it. So, And believe me, legally, we've tried appealing to a tribunal within the MNR. Uh, we've tried a legal recourse, and at every uh, point and, and step, we've been told, unfortunately, the Conservation Authorities Act itself has to be revised, amended, or changed. And, of course, the MNR, the ministry, could do that. Um, you, you, know, can, Bill, you can appeal. I, I know you can appeal, but, I mean, nine yes. times out of ten, they simply say, too bad, so sad, pay it. Exactly. And Bimbrook, now my sources tell me, Bill, and I've been there just a couple of times, again, almost a 1,000 acres that we should be owning and looking after. And, by the way, you said about budgets. Our Hamilton Conservation Authority uh, from City Council gets over, I believe, over three, $3 million a year to help look after all the areas it does across our city. And as you stated at the outset, Bill, they're just wonderful natural open spaces, waterfalls, parks, picnic areas for all of our families to enjoy, and they add to the prestige of our city to have these kind of amenities. So that's what we give, and, I, and so it really bothers me that we've only got two of 15 members at Niagara, so they're obviously going to be outvoted every single time. It's just been in the last four or five years that a master plan, 
and probably through the good work of one of our two appointees, who's a very strong, outspoken man, Stu Beatty, from the Stony Creek area. Finally, a master plan was put in place for Bimbrook, because I believe the Niagara CA finally realized that the attendance and the, and the attraction and the interest at Bimbrook was growing. And my sources tell me today, Bill, in the Niagara conservation area, Bimbrook is the second highest in attendance next to their Balls Falls in Vineland. So they finally put some, the last three, four years, put some money towards splash pads, a rec center, septic system up there. But again, at this Yeah, but they haven't been doing that for a long time. Here's exactly. the, the here's the rub, Tom, and as a taxpayer, and and I sat on the Conservation Authority, the Hamilton Conservation Authority, uh, for a couple of years too. And it was I remember a, that it was a great experience. But so I and I understand how important they are and the great work that these guys do. But you're paying over a million dollars now to the Niagara Peninsula Conservation Authority uh, because Binbrook falls under their purview. That's what the government has told us. Yes, but that million dollars isn't being spent on Binbrook. No, it isn't. They can That's spend right. that wherever they want, anywhere else in the in the Niagara area. So how and and this is the this is the rub for a taxpayer. Why are we giving them so much money that they can go and spend on Balls Falls or someplace else down in Welland or whatever? Uh, that's Hamilton taxpayer money. That should be Niagara tax money that's doing that. Uh, there's an inequity that's in place here. And Bill, because of that, and the governance of thirteen of fifteen board members. 12 being Niagara, 2 Hamilton, and 1 from Haldeman County, you could see, Bill, why there's not even a chance that we're either going to be heard and or we may get some crumbs along the way. I think Bimbrook was an ignored child for many years. Again, I don't, I, I'm not intimately involved in that area, but just talking to key people like Councillor Brenda Johnson and others over the years, what really irked us was finally the way it was we were blindsided three years ago with this additional cost handed to us, and probably with Niagara and their board knowing that Hamilton would be stuck with the bill even if we wanted to appeal it, and the old arrangement of 04, where we only had to pay 4%, suddenly went by the wayside, and we really fully, to be quite honest, didn't get a proper explanation uh, from them. So that's why, Bill, I still feel under the new city of Hamilton, Bimbrook's a growing area, it's an area that's attracting more people. We could, with our 11-member board, we'll have full control of it if it ever came under our jurisdiction. And of the $3 million they get annually from the city, I'm sure our board would make sure they get an apportioned amount. This, this is only common sense. And, and I know that you guys are stuck in bureaucratic red tape right now because it was actually the deputy minister uh, that, that responded, I, I guess, in this situation. And, and they're not elected. I mean, those are, these are bureaucrats that are involved in this. But they, they certainly get their direction from the minister and whoever's running the, the, the portfolio there. Uh, so I think it's the smart thing for council to do is, like you say, just change the name of the top of the letter and reissue it and say, hey, uh, here's our problem. Because uh, we're paying for something here that, that really... Uh, we're, we're overpaying, really, but we're paying for a piece of property right now that's a, a p- small part of their business plan, and it's within our purview. I don't understand. I mean, who pays for the services up there, Tom? Uh, it, exactly. We pay, like I said, we just uh, we we originally contributed three hundred thousand dollars, but part of our million dollar we pay the sur- Oh, the city of Hamilton, yeah, the servicing the municipal servicing that's under our costs entirely. Yeah, so absolutely, our, so, you're right. So why shouldn't it be under our dur- jurisdiction? And and I want to be clear here because I want I don't want people to think oh these guys are anti conservationists. Not at all. You're not saying I don't want to pay the bill. You're simply saying let us bring it into our family, and we'll we'll gladly look after the area. 
and Lake Nyapenko as well, right beside the uh, nearly 1,000 acres of uh, the Bimbrook Conservation Lands, is very popular as well, man-made lake and maintaining the dam. I think, Bill, quite honestly, in the last three, four years, where a lot of uh, assets have finally been approved with, um, with more projects being done in Bimbrook, quite frankly, I, and this is only my speculation and surmising, I think the Niagara PCA realized Bimbrook's a real gem, and before it creates even more fuss than what they've done, and Hamilton may get a favorable ruling down the road with possibly the new government at Queen's Park, we better start spending some serious money there because many people are enjoying that area, and we don't want to lose it. Well, one of the problems here is, is that obviously with conservation authorities, not all of them are money makers, and, and that can be a bit of a problem for a jurisdiction. We understand that. Uh, and a lot of the times you have to subsidize it, and you gladly do that. But Binbrook, as you say, with the rising population in that area, is now starting to make money for them. And so it's no wonder these guys want to hang on to it right now. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem fair. Bill, here's the last kicker. So if you own a conservation authority, Hamilton CA card, membership card, that you can explore, so many people I've talked to have thought they could use that at Binbrook. Do you know you cannot use your HCA membership at Bimbrook because it technically falls under the Niagara CA, so you've got to buy a Niagara membership card to use Bimbrook, whereas your HCA card could be used at Valens, Kristen, Aramosa, Karst, and every other location. I mean, how bizarre is that? Well, it is. It's just, it's just plain dumb. And, and again, not your fault, not Niagara's fault either. I, I'm not blaming them. I mean, they're, they're playing within the rules that were set down by somebody else. And, hey, w- why not take advantage of it if you can? But somebody somebody at Queen's Park has got to get a little shot of common sense here and just say, look, let's, let's cut these guys a break and let's do this thing properly. Well, we're going to try with the new government bill, fingers crossed, possibly with the new minister. And I'm sure council and our mayor is more than happy to meet with them and, and talk some sense into them how natural this is to fall under the Hamilton Conservation Authority's jurisdiction. Tom, always a pleasure to get you on to explain these issues. I really uh, enjoyed the time today. I guess we'll talk again in a few weeks when the rope rescue started, Albion. I was just going to say, I I, I love talking to you today about Bimbrook, but I assumed initially with Liz Russell I was coming on to talk about Albion or possibly Tom. When are we going to expand the link to six lanes? Well, we can do both of those. (laughs) Talk to you in the future. You need six lanes so all the people going up to Albion can get there faster. All right, Tom, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate this. My pleasure, Bill. Ward 6 Councillor Tom Jackson. Uh, And, uh, yeah, listen, a word of the wise. I know I was being a little cynical there, but uh, you know the rope rescue season is upon us. Uh, Enjoy the waterfalls around here. There's some fabulous Webster's and and Albion and et cetera. But let's not get silly like we have in past years. hmm? The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.